Welcome everyone to the Dairy Meats Beef Podcast. This is your host, Jake Vermeer, welcoming you to another episode with my co-host, Lance Nielsen. Today we're going to explore a number of topics from winterizing for the next big storm, selling purebred beef genetics, and social media algorithms together with parenting kids in the modern day. It'll be a wild ride of different topics, but we'll see how it goes from there. Well, my buckle makes impressions on the inside of her thigh. There are little feathered Indians where we tussle through the night. If I'd known she was religious, then I wouldn't have came stone to the house of such an angel and fucked up to get back So how are you doing, Lance? And how did you survive the minus 50 from three weeks ago? Yeah, well, barely survived. I just want to go back to your intro there. You, you give the, uh, you know, Buttergate and cold weather and social media algorithms. Then you throw the bombshell of how to parent kids. And I could just see anybody listening, their eyes would go, I like, what? That's a, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big range of the topic there. Yeah, that's but Yeah, that, uh, that was... That seems like a bit of a distant memory now that really cold, but that was cold. Like, you know, we get, we get minus 40 and that's, you know, that's every winter, but that, that was something else. That wind, it just was so persistent. I think it just blew for so long from the same direction. And I don't, I think that was a bit unique. It was just, you know, four or five days of a really hard Northwest wind. and It sure exposed the weakness and everything. That's for sure. Yeah, you just couldn't get away from it. Like we had, we had stuff freezing inside of buildings that had no, no right freezing. Like had never been frozen before, and so it, it's just that wind blew blew right through everything. Um, uh, and I know I always say like a minus thirty, um, or a minus forty on a on a clear sunny day is a lot better than a minus thirty day with a wind chill. Um, and that's what we saw that week. We just had had no sun and a ton of wind. Um, uh, yeah. So what kind of things did you have break on the farm that week? Well, mostly I had water issues, water mm-hmm. issues, you know, being the beef farm, everything outside. And unfortunately, we still have a couple of concrete waters that they really, they really gave me a, a hard time. You know, they just, I don't know who decided that concrete was a good thing to use that needs insulation because concrete does not insulate. And so, you know, I was having, I was having trouble with, uh, you know, one of them is a quite a main waterer. And as I found out, so we bought, we bought the place we're at only three years ago. So I actually don't know how everything is ran, whether it be water lines or electrical. And so I find out when stuff like that happens and the one water, concrete water has, has a line electrical and water that comes up inside of it and goes to another water. And altogether there's around, 300 head between that so they both froze and that was or you know it froze into concrete which then froze the or froze the supply to the other one so yeah it caused a lot of problems yeah that's brutal so if, if you were to redo it would you would you pour put insulation inside of like so our like our barns are built of prefab concrete with about a three inch insulation in between two slabs of concrete would you think about Insulating the concrete somehow, like between uh, between concrete layers. I think the number one thing to do is just rip out the concrete water this summer and put in a better water, like a, a new Richie water or something. So we did that this last summer. We had two of those uh, 
energy free waters that have you know the balls the circles with the balls in them and they gave me prop they gave me problems the first couple of years we're here so we replaced them with with richies and i guess i need to do that with two more this summer and that should solve a lot of my problems and then you know the uh tractor hydraulics when you got your motor tractor sitting out you know sitting there for 20 minutes or something while you're feeding out a wagon load and come back and your grapple lines and stuff are pretty much stiff you know it exposes any weak hoses you have and that sort of thing that's for sure so yeah yeah how about yourself i think you had a i think you had a lot more trouble than i did wow it's just the i don't know i think we probably had the same amount of headaches but it's just the scale might have been a little bit different but we had the robot feeders inside of our calf barn like fully insulated heated calf barn and uh, like you like you said, any weaknesses you have get exposed. We had a fan blow on one of the uh, furnaces that was in there, and it was just enough to freeze the milk line. So the whole uh, robot calf feeders uh, froze up. And usually, when those things break, you're still able to kind of limp along and either use milk replacer or whole milk or something to still feed the calves. And there's about 40 calves on each robot feeder, and those things completely froze, and the water tomb froze, and the milk tomb froze. So now we couldn't feed those calves at all. So a little 12 hour delay before we had a couple of those uh, big uh, Herman Salis uh, blowers in there, those burners in there that we rented from town. Um, uh, finally got them open and going. So that was good. We ended up one day with the crowd gate, the airlines, because they're sitting right by the curtains. They froze, so we couldn't get the crowd gate up before milking, so the cows couldn't come in the parlor. So, yeah. And the biggest thing, like the biggest, biggest thing dairy farms struggle with during cold spells is overhead doors. We have high humidity barns um, uh, that that blow up humid air against the door, and from the outside, cold air pushes up against the outside, and we get ice buildup. And normally, like three, four days, we're fine because um, the ice buildup is minimal. But like right, like five, six, seven days into it, into week two, that ice starts building. You just can't get away from it. And then the doors become heavy. The motors start breaking. You got to manually open them. Um, and that's when things start becoming a real gong show. And in the new barn, we actually put uh glycol strips underneath our uh where the, where the door comes down and touches the concrete and then we put uh, heat tape around them inside the concrete and that just does just enough to kind of keep the ice from building up but like i said like once week two comes around the, the ice builds up and especially along the edges where the tracks are and then they just freeze shut so and that's a big problem because we got to feed like three four times a day so uh, a lot of feed has to go into the barns <clears throat> What do you do, what do you do as modifications this summer so your milk your calf's milk supply lines don't freeze because that that's unique right I mean you got door problems every year and you fight that but not feeding those baby calves for twelve hours is probably something a little bit new yeah so we bought our own um, like movable furnace now or heater so if we uh, like a di- like a diesel uh, burner so oh, if any frost, any frost lighters. Yeah, we basically have any problem anywhere on the farm, we can bring that thing in for temporary relief. And uh, I think the biggest thing is like fall maintenance is just before the actual cold comes is turn all the heaters on, make sure everything's running, make sure there's no bird's nest anywhere. That's probably the biggest risk to us every single year is having those furnaces turn on suddenly overnight without having checked them. And you got all those dumb sparrows everywhere and they, and they build nests and things. Like we have a lot of chicken wire up against our furnaces to stop them from building nests in there because it's a huge uh, fire risk for us. But yeah, basically getting in there in the fall and making sure everything works properly. Yeah. 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 Those, those, uh, those Herman Nelson's or frost fighters, whatever we, we have one too, that's 
I was carting that thing around everywhere for that week or two. There, it's uh, they're yeah, handy. I've seen that. That's funny. Going and buying one of those used from a rental store in the summer is, a, I think, is a pretty good thing to have around the farm for anybody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, we'll uh, we'll switch gears a little bit because we're we're sitting now and this is March 11th when we're recording this, and it's we're looking at plus six tomorrow, plus 11 on Saturday. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, uh, I don't know if it's a beef farmer's dream to be calving out in the mud, but uh, at least it's not cold, right? Yeah, but you know, the, at least at our place, we're quite well drained. I'm good with it. I you know we're it's an it's a pretty early spring, really. Like we yeah. don't have really any snow around. No, uh, you know the grass is actually getting dry. Like even even my kind of my sloppier areas where you know feed yards and stuff, they're getting dry. It's no, I'm I'm looking forward. I'm people say all oh, the calves, you know, it's nicer if it stays below zero. Ha. Ah whatever i like warm i'll take the warm it's all good yeah exactly i know that the little bit with with how it's been freezing thawing freezing thawing that does help a little bit thaw it out faster um uh, you don't get like a massive plus 23 days in a row and then you get water everywhere it takes way longer yeah. to dry out then right yeah that's right so but i mean now you know i would say get a nice warm day tomorrow well already we're I mean, you know the cows are going to be able to calve on on bare grass bare ground it's it's nice. I'll take it for sure. Nice. How many calves did you have today? You know, we're in a lull right now. We're in between AI calves kind of finished a couple days ago and we're just starting ones out of bowls. So, uh, we didn't have one today. Hmm. We had two yesterday and you know, maybe one the day before we have 50, 50 some on the ground right now. Right. And the ones the last two days are just, just the start of natural breeding. So next week we'll be, we'll be back in the full swing of things here, which is good. Cause I was, it was kind of cold. And, and those first 50 were all first calf heifers and it was, they're, they're not the funnest calves. So I was happy to get a little bit of a, a breather here to regroup and be ready for the, the bigger, the bigger session. Yeah. 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 They need a little bit more attention eh? those first calf heifers. Yeah, these next, these two that have calved, you know, the first couple of natural bulls, they're mature cows, and yeah, it's just a sigh of relief, and oh, well, they know what they're doing, it's all good. Do you uh, focus a lot with your genetics on, on birth weights? Well, for first half heifers, yes, you you got to be more careful, but it just sure seems like everybody, everybody's after a heifer, building heifer bull genetics, everybody claims every bull they have is a heifer bull. I don't know. You know, we AI'd, we had quite a few to the exact same bowl, right? So, and, and a lot of these first calf heifers were bought, bought in. So I don't know their history. And so most of the calves coming on these first calf heifers are all perfect, say 78 pounds. They, they are real tight, but we got a few outliers of hundred pounders and some problems. But I, I mean, is that the bowl? I hardly think that's the bull. I have no idea what the background of that body and heifer is. Right. So I can hardly, I can hardly blame the bull for an outlier. Maybe it is the, the bull. I, I don't know, but it sure seems like you go to any bull sale. Everybody's, everybody's claiming every bull's a heifer bull. So I don't know. I know it's uh we, we talked about this brief a little bit this week. Um, and I guess two questions, I guess, first question, I'm just observing what you're saying now, those bigger calves, those are usually bull calves, right? When they're born. No. Nope. I mean, not always. Yeah, I would say a bigger percentage, but 
not always. I mean, the one that was born two days ago is a 113 pound heifer. But yeah, the real monsters that really seem like they're just big, they're, they're, they are typically bull calves, but, but it's not, that's not a hard and fast rule for sure. What if, uh, like, if you're if you're going to be predominantly using AI, or if that's an option to you, what it like is in the dairy industry, we breed law, all of our virgin heifers basically to sex semen, so we get heifer calves. It's A, because our genetics are the best in the youngest animals, because we're more progressive there. But B, also the calving ease is so much better. Like, we rarely pull calves off our first calf heifers, because we're all calving in heifer calves from them. And then what happens if on the, on the beef side of things, you use, like, male semen or bull calf semen? on the older cows to make up for your calf crop would that be a thing or is that too complicated that's not something i see as a as a option that's easily available mm-hmm. i think the dairy world is is far more advanced i mean you see sex semen in the beef cattle for sure but it's pricier you know if i'm ai in 120 or 30 heifers i just want to find something that's you know, twenty dollars and gonna calve good. Yeah, trying to find sex semen that fits the twenty dollar mark seems to be pretty difficult. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's something that should be explored more. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, we you, your your heifers are more valuable. I mean, we just want a live calf to a very large degree, no doubt. A dead calf isn't worth anything, obviously. But man, we take on on heifers a lot of times if you haul beef cows to go to the auction mart right you're 20 20 cents back and less weight and, and everything yeah but right yeah no that makes sense makes sense yeah yeah hmm. interesting i know uh, i had my first little bit of taste in the beef world i was looking for a, an angus bull uh last week so we have a cleanup angus bull in with our pregnant heifer so if anything uh, slips, then uh, we just catch with an Angus bull. They're much quieter, so we don't have to worry about some angry uh, Holstein bull sitting in our pen and have our employees all worried about it. So we just uh, we have an Angus bull in there, and we bought the last, the first one I guess we've ever done. We bought it from Lance, but now we we're looking for another one. And uh, so I posted it on that Cattle in Alberta Facebook page, and I think I had like 30 responses of people sending me their catalogs, people sending me pictures, people sending me pictures of feet, like all kinds of things. And I had kind of been pretty blunt in my posting. I just need like a cheap bowl with low birth weights because I don't want big monster Angus calves coming out of my heifers. And uh, it just kind of showed me like how brutal and competitive that purebred market is that's out there for selling bulls. And we're kind of right in the middle of the season. So I guess I caught it the wrong time, but it seems like every single purebred farm out there is having a sale, doing their own marketing and, and getting, uh, getting, uh, trying to get out there and, and show people why they're the special one. So I think, I think I saw, I saw your social media posts and I saw the, the amount of activity and the type of activity. I mean, I think they miscalculated what you wanted. You wanted yes. simplicity. You just wanted somebody to say, "Here's a bowl, twenty five hundred yeah. bucks. I'm going to bring it to you." One hundred percent. But that is, you did not care about much else. You, nope. you know, I obviously want it to cab, but here's a bowl. I'll bring it to you. Make my life simple. Yeah. And yeah, it is a it is a brutally competitive industry, and I don't ever want to sell bowls because of that. It's it's just everybody tries to sell bowls right now, and it's it's tough and and there's a lot of 
there's a lot of name recognition. The guys that the guys that have the name recognition and and they put in the time and they put in the years. Boy, they, they sure seem to sell bulls for a lot of money. But for every one of those guys, there's probably ten that are struggling to sell a three thousand dollar bull. You know, so it's a tough tough business. So I was at the the CRE and cameras here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I stopped in to sign some paperwork and uh, they had a sale going on at the time. And the first bull that sold there went for $150,000. So my question to you is, how does a bull like that ever redeem its value? Or, or how does it become? And it's the same in the Holstein world, but a lot of a lot of the top Holstein bulls are going to AI studs. Whereas this seemed like just like a farming uh, sale, right? So where does a $150,000 bull ever recoup its value? That is a really good question. I actually <laughs> saw, I actually saw a $200,000 bull today in person. Oh, wow. You get its <laughs> autograph? Yeah. <laughs> very good bull and yeah, very, well. very good bull. And we're going to buy some semen to off it to, to do some AI. But, you know, I think, I think the the goal is to make, is to flood, flood the market with so much of the name in all the pedigrees that just becomes such a household name that people just keep wanting more of that, you know, more of that stability in all the pedigrees. How much money changed hands on that $150,000 bull you saw? I don't know. I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big skeptic on that. I, I think there's a lot of, of other factors that probably played in there, but you know, they create the hype, the guy selling it, and the guy buying it probably kept each kept an interest in it and they create a lot of hype around it and they hope to recoup. Well, again, how much of the 150,000 changed hands, but that creates some of the hype and they can flood the market with the genetics and becomes a sought after line item in the, in the pedigrees. And cause I don't think you're going to sell semen to recoup $150,000. No. So that was my question to you. What would you buy a straw from, from him? Or how much per straw, I guess. $200,000 bowl is $100 a straw. $100 a straw. So yeah. it's still, what, 2000 2, or 20000 straws that he has to produce at that value? To get the money back, yeah. Plus yeah. whatever fees it costs you to draw all that. But Yeah, exactly. But, hmm, you know, when you start seeing some of those some of those names, and probably I'm sure it's the same in the Holstein world, you, you see these na- familiar names in the background of the pedigrees after that bull's been around a few years certainly becomes a sought after name and you sell flushes to them and there's a lot of factors i guess so in the dairy industry actually it's completely changed um uh, we're, we're actually probably 15 years removed from pedigrees really mattering that much anymore because the genomics have taken over so we're sending hair samples now of bulls and heifer calves and the ai industry has really constantly uh consolidated or what's that word Cons- consolidated consolidated the the genetic market or industry um there's really only like four big players they all have their own uh heifer facilities so they got a couple thousand heifers that are they're using as donors they're doing ivf at nine months old they're creating bowls that are producing semen at 14 to 16 months um uh, we call that genomic semen so then we're if there's farms that that believe in genomics so they're buying bowls that have no proven records yet but we're all doing it based off of number and indexes 
and it, it all works out really well. Like our farm is a genomic farm and we have some really high production and trait values um, in our herd. But uh, in the in the dairy industry, that's really changing. Like we're we're really going away from pedigrees mattering. Um, and even for a certain sense, like names mattering, it's all about the numbers for a lot of farms. Is that genomic semen as viable as as is regular traditional drawing a bull at you know whatever 12 to 25 months old or something yeah is, is it viable because ivf calves i think i've talked to you in the past you're not as keen on ivf calves but no no that's different so I, I guess the genomic thing is really only it's nothing different about the bull it's just the fact that we know his information or we're, we're glancing into his potentially potential earlier but the semen is the exact same a bull a conventional bull will get collected at the same time but he might not be used until his numbers are proven, right? So I he see, might not start selling semen until yeah. he's he's had five years or two generations or or a couple thousand uh, progeny, right? So we know that his numbers are actually accurate. So that's where the difference is. But yeah, IVF, like not a big believer in it. Get really low conception rate on, on embryos being implanted. Um, calves are weaker. Calves like to die quicker. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of problems with, with doing IVF work, so... So I see Canada is a long ways behind the U.S. I see a lot of IVF work in the U.S. on beef herds, and you do not see that in Canada. No. But it's coming. And looking at whenever I talk to you about these sort of things, it's a, it's a glimpse into the future, I believe. I don't know if it'll quite ever come to the beef world like it does in the dairy world. It's because you can control so many more factors that, than we can in the beef. But, yeah. but it certainly is a glimpse into the future. You need a reliable uh, checks and balances for data, basically. So dairy farms, even at the most basic dairy farm, milk is recorded, uh, longevity is recorded, reason for culling is recorded. So a lot of data is being recorded on dairy farms and that goes back to, to counter check the actual genetics, right? So we're actually proving that the genetics are correct in either way, either the cow didn't last as long, so her longevity score goes down. If her progeny, if the bull's progeny is being uh, exiting the herd earlier, um, uh, and if milk numbers are high, then the bull's um, numbers go high, right? Um, uh, and then that's a lot more. I think a lot more count accountability in in the dairy industry for the data points. Yeah, so much beef is so much more fragmented. You got Angus, you got mm -hmm. Charlet, you got Semental, you got Galvin, and they all report to their own breed. You know, they, they, all the all the different data points go to their own breed, but the average commercial guy probably doesn't. There's no centralized collection point. I mean, I might run Semental bulls, and like I might run Angus bulls, and nobody's collecting data to send in centralized. And I don't know. If, I mean, it'll change somewhat, but it'll never it'll never get consolidated like the Holstein is to the dairy world. That's for sure. It's so competitive, right? I mean, it's it's actually me and Dad were talking about this a couple of days ago. Like, it's actually amazing how much brand recognition that the Angus Association has. Who could have imagined that thirty years ago there would be a burger at, at McDonald's or AW or whatever your choice be called the Angus Burger? Like, isn't the notion kind of ridiculous? Why can't you go there and get a Charlie burger? It's total like they did an amazing job marketing that. Yeah, the Angus. The Angus Association has done a great job of marketing. Yeah. And it's just funny because, you know, the Angus burger is not an Angus burger. It's probably just a black-hided cattle of some sort. It might be a black Semmental or it might be a half Angus. I mean, who knows? 
they've done a great job of, of brand marketing, but so is, so is things like Alberta beef has too. And, and I don't know why some of those things catch on so well, you know, cause we sell beef to the, to the public and obviously we sell Alberta beef to the public. And I get people from, I get lots of people always asking what kind of, what breed of cattle do you have? And they always just want to hear that they're Angus. And then you have people from other parts of the country saying, Oh, I really want to get Alberta beef here in the Maritimes or in Ontario. Like, I don't know why those kind of things catch on or, or how they laid such a good foundation 30, 40 years ago to make that catch on. Yeah. Someone knew what they were doing with marketing. I mean, I sometimes am amazed too, about how marketing um, uh, can take off. Um, uh, I see I don't know if you've seen it. Now we're kind of jumping into the social media realm, which may be a nice transition for us here. But uh, did you see uh, Burger King's tweet out of the United Kingdom last week? I'm going to have to refresh. I think I did, but I, I can't remember what it was. So it was on uh, International Women's Day, um, uh, which was a big thing on social media for sure. Um, a lot of posts, a lot of companies uh, uh, yeah, celebrating the day. Um, uh, but Burger King decided to take an, a different approach. Well, still the same approach, but do it in a different fashion, which I think speaks to the genius of some marketing people because um, they wanted to be able to like create a story and, and draw draw an audience to a, to a post that was going to be the same as everyone else's, but, but do it in a different way. So they actually posted uh, uh, women belong in the kitchen or something. And it was a, it was a basically a beginning of a campaign for them to increase uh, women in the culinary industry. Um, they had some stats from their restaurants saying that only 20% of their line cooks or the cooks in their kitchens were actually women. And so they, they were going to start creating scholarships and different things to try and get more women into that line of work, but kind of the, it blew up, right? It went viral very quick. Um, uh, not for the right reasons sometimes, but maybe that was their, their intention, right? Yeah, I just actually just Google. I did see that, I remember, and I just Googled it while you're talking here. And uh, yeah, Burger King UK has apologized for tone deaf attempted on the <laughs> on Twitter. After. Yeah. Quite amazing, yeah. eh? That someone would think that was a good idea in today's very sensitive social media atmosphere. I don't think hardly anything's a good idea in today's socially sen or the sensitive social media atmosphere. No, I see that Pepe Le Pew is canceled. Dr. Sue is canceled. Like, who knows what gets canceled before we do our next podcast? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't pay much attention to that because I think it's all ridiculous, and I think that's all pulled, or I think it's all brought to attention by a very small group of people, and so I don't feel like I should actually give them any credibility by even talking about it. I don't know. Like yeah. you see people sharing it on social media and mad about it. And I think it's stupid, but I don't even want to dignify it with a, with a comment or a share on social media. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people are at. Um, there are a few that will fight back against it, but that's kind of also the, it spurs on the cancellations um, when people just say, whatever, you guys are so dumb. This is ridiculous. But the cancellations keep rolling on and these companies don't hear anything else. And they're forced to succumb to the very, very minor part of social media, right? Well, and, and this is this is exactly what we're talking about when we, you know, our topic of social media algorithms. You know, we we get into our little echo chambers, and whatever our echo chamber is, we're pretty sure that the whole world must agree with us because that's all we're fed all the time. 
by on our on our newsfeed on our whatever social media platform we're on you know facebook i think is particularly bad at it but whatever whatever you're passionate about or whatever you happen to 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 be interested in you're pretty sure that the whole world agrees with you and you have no idea why you know the politician you hate or the company you, you like or whatever it is isn't you know run out of town because it just seems like it's overwhelming right yeah but it's simply because you keep getting fed the echo chamber constantly and i you know you see you see the fake news you know taglines on some different posts on social media i don't think that's the problem i don't think people are the fake news is the problem i think it's the fact that their algorithms just keep feeding you the same information over and over and over so it makes you think that it's a bigger problem than it is yeah and then you become almost so radicalized in your thinking because you think there's a movement and you and you and you jump in on with it and and then you kind of step out of that echo chamber and maybe even talk to a real human in real life and find that that same perspective is not there and that's sometimes like refreshing but almost almost frightening too like i know one of the biggest things for us in, in our household with me, with me and angela like we're getting married this summer and uh, i so i think obviously she's been googling some stuff on, on about weddings and stuff and i my social media feed is like 90 percent venues and groomsmen gifts and i haven't once googled anything and that data has been sold so quick it's phenomenal but also scary at the same time i know there's even been times where we haven't googled anything and just been speaking about it and i've even joked to angela once in a while when it's like okay i want to i want to go google something and i just start talking to my phone to see if the ad will pop up on my facebook in the next hour and you'd be surprised about how many times that actually happens like i don't know if i'm got my tinfoil hat on or not but i i'm a believer that that there are apps listening and watching what you're doing and, and trying to find targeted ads that they can sell to to uh, fit your uh, your uh, your desired uh, purchasing uh, choices yeah for sure i i, I do believe 100 percent that happens and i i just i don't know why they're not taken to task on that more if we're you know maybe it's because politicians want to solve Maybe because as politicians just need a, a, a problem to solve. So they want to talk about how dangerous it is that people are radicalized. And it'd be pretty simple. It'd be pretty simple just to stop the algorithms that keep force feeding you the same thing over and over and over again mm-hmm. to stop people from getting so entrenched into, into one linear thought. And I'm a, I'm a victim of it, right? I'm a, I'm a pretty right-wing guy. I, you know, I, I like pages that are, are right-wing pages and I don't think there's anything wrong with being right-wing because that's what I am. But if, if, if you were to ask me, do you think Jason Kenny is going to get reelected? I'd say, boy, I, I don't think the guy's even going to survive the summer as a as leader of the party, which probably isn't true at all. But in my echo chamber right now, it's like everybody hates Jason Kenny. Everybody thinks he's going to be, be ousted this summer. And I, I highly doubt that's going to happen. You got to take a step back and think, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm seeing things for what they are, you know? Yeah. And it's tough because we rely on our, on who we follow to kind of get news nowadays, because we don't always trust what the media is doing either, because they're doing some of the same things as showcasing only one perspective lots of times. And so we go out and we, we follow our, whoever we follow to get where, what the news we want, but it's always, also the only news that you want to hear right because you're not getting the opposite side so one of the tricks that i've done 
which can be quite depressing sometimes because I'm also uh, pretty right wing, is I follow left wing accounts, especially on Twitter. But sometimes I'm stuck in their echo chamber and I, I have to like, I don't know, like wear gloves so I can't type on my phone <laughs> to, to not sending replies off like like crazy. But uh, yeah, I, I follow some of those accounts just to get the opposite side, to get the perspective, to get the get where the, the their side is thinking about some of the things that are happening on our side. Um, so that is refreshing, but it will also be very frustrating sometimes and can can leave you almost like a little bit depressed when you're reading some of that stuff and just arguing and arguing in, in your own head about some of the topics that they're talking about. Yeah, it's amazing if you go and tread into the other world, and I'm sure they think the same thing when they tread into my world too, that you just like, I, I had no idea people thought this way. I, yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> it, it is amazing, but yeah, you're right. You gotta figure out a way to break these algorithms somehow because it's, it's very, very easy just to fall into the trap of them, that is for sure. I think I think that we can probably both agree, even though our opinions lay, lay far on the right side, is that I think it is important to be able to hear the left, and I don't like the fact that we're getting radicalized. I mean, even when I was in school, I felt like we could just have a conversation about politics without getting super angry about one side. And and while I'm I'm, I'm far right far right, and and I don't uh, agree with a lot of the perspectives that are on the left. I'd still want to hear them and still want to see what they're thinking on different things. Um, and I don't like how social media is starting to kind of push that away from us. Yeah, no, that's, that's right for sure. So let's, let's jump into the, the best topic of the night that just to make everybody's eyes go wide. Parenting your children. How did, how, you know, this, this actually, this topic, I'm saying it's kind of with a smile on my face, but, you know, I have four kids that are, uh, the oldest is seven, just turned 17 and the youngest is 11. I am fairly good with technology. I try to know how to use all the social media platforms for an old guy. I like to keep on top of all these things, but there is no way that I can stay on top of all of them. And I don't think there's any way that I can, I can prevent my kids from being on them if they really wanted to be on them. Right. Like I mean, you know, when they're young, I mean, the 11 year old, I can, I can, but I mean, boy, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old, if uh, you can't, you can't use physical or, or, you know, blocking software or anything to, to a great extent because they're going to figure out how to get around it. They're probably smarter than me at, at a certain point. Anyways, you know, you're a younger guy, you're still in these, you're not as far removed from being that age, but I, I think you would agree. Like I, I, I can't stop the kids from, from, you know, being victims of these algorithms and being victims of all these things that we just talked about. You're just going to have to, you're just going to have to instill your, your, your moral conduct and moral code with them. Cause you can't stop it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I and I'm I'm only about ten years removed from that age group that you're talking about, and uh, and 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 so I went through the social media stuff, and my parents were pretty good. Like we, one of our rules was we weren't allowed our cell phones uh, like to bed. We'd have to put them upstairs, so there was no late night stuff going on on phones. And that was probably just to make sure that we were actually sleeping instead of sitting on Facebook all night or watching YouTube or something. But uh, that was one of the few rules we had. 
but uh, I think you're right. I think you just got to instill good values into your kids and let them decide what's right and wrong. And and I think also being open and I, I social like online bullying really worries me because it happens even at our age groups that like we're talking about being radicalized. Well, when you make a post and all of a sudden you have 30 people coming after you that that disagree, even though we're adults, that's still bullying. and It doesn't feel good. Right. So now take into account a young adolescent who is dealing with probably a lot of uh, uh, like, um, what would you call it, uh, confidence issues and, and, and learning how to be a, a, an adult and, and having respect for oneself. Um, I think that like ha- being a parent and being open and telling your kids like, hey, if you, if you got a problem, like come to me, um, we'll listen, we won't rat you out, like we won't go to the principal, we just want to make sure that you're okay, like make sure that nothing crazy is happening online and make sure that you're safe from that. I think that's probably the only thing you can do because like you said, being super strict and blocking everything can in lots of cases make things almost worse. And then in the case that there is something where your your kid should be telling you, they don't feel safe telling you because they weren't supposed to be doing it in the first place. Yeah, I think what your parents did with the phones at bed, you know, in your room at night, I think that that is the one very important thing parents can do because Otherwise, your kids never get away from it. And that's yep. our kids. We have a, a charging station upstairs in the kitchen, and that's where everybody's devices go for the night at a certain time. And fortunately, my wife is a lot more strict on it than I am, and she keeps that more in line. But I'll see my kids screen, you know, sitting there charging. And, you know, if you're up at midnight or whatever, you'll see snaps and, you know, whatever other, you know, platform it is start start coming across their screen with the usernames that I know who the kid is. Like, don't these kids ever go to sleep? <laughs> like, it's just amazing. My kid's been asleep for four hours already. And these, these, these things are coming across their device. Like that cannot be healthy. No, that's fundamental to growth, getting enough sleep. And, and, and I think like that, that's important, but I don't think that's the issue at hand here. I think, like you said, being able to get away from it, just even mentally, just, turning it off, not listening to what Susan's got to say about what outfit she's going to wear tomorrow. Like just get away from it, reset your brain and start over in the morning. I think that's really important. Yeah. And important for us too. I know I get too addicted to, to it as well. And you'll make an excuse like, Oh, well the feed wagons mix and I'll just check this right now. And yeah. that's, that's not good either. We're sitting there, you know, worrying about my kids and I should also be worrying about myself. Well, it's the example that you set. I know. So on a lighter side, a couple of things. We in our house here, me and Angela, we have a no phones during supper rule. So otherwise, we're both just sitting there scrolling, right? We call that scrolling. And yeah. uh, so we we have a no phones during supper rule. So we have like at least uh, an hour together where we're face to face and talking. And then like on a Friday night when we're together and not got anything going on, then it's like no phones night. We'll just watch a movie together, right? Um, uh, so those, those are good things. Now on a lighter side, it's funny that you mentioned about what's sitting there with mixing. Like, so my dad is, is big on Twitter. If he's listening to this, he'll probably start laughing. But when we see the mixer wagon, like parked just somewhere and it should be moving, you're like, what's going on? And we've walked up. It's like, he's <laughs> they're scrolling on Twitter and he, like, he's, he's, inf- he's famous for being a bad Twitter scroller. And it's just like, all of a sudden you see like, why is that tractor just sitting there doing nothing? It's yeah, he's on Twitter scrolling. <laughs> I got I got caught very this very day on that. I was supposed to be unhooking the bale shredder 
And my uh, son was out taking a roll through the cows to see if anything was calving. And uh, he was sitting there scrolling through social media. And he's coming, he drives up in the side by side. He's looking at me. And I realized, oh, smoke. So I was just, <laughs> he just popped me. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just getting out. To, just getting out to unhook. And yeah, that, that catches me too. Yeah, just calculating the next feed ration. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's tough. Yeah. We have, we, like so with our employees we have uh we don't have cell phone rules um uh, like we just we we trust them the th- problem a little bit is if i put a cell phone rule in place and everyone's got to leave their cell phone in the staff room i also can't access them so if i'm gone for something and i need to tell them to to do something and breed a cow or hey check on this cow i get on the camera i see she's calving or something then i don't have access to them right so it's kind of a catch-22 where you have to trust them to be on their phone and not be wasting all the time. So for the younger guys in the farm, it's it's fine. Like a lot of guys can walk and text, and and for the most part, I'm okay with it. Because when I start cracking down on it, then I also have to lead by example, and it's a little bit tougher, right? So, well, we have one of our older guys now. He's just finally gotten into the smartphone thing, and he can't walk and text. So he stands still and texts, <laughs> and that drives me nuts. Because then it's like, well, there's no work being done now. Now you are wasting company time. So we had to have like some conversations about either you have to start learning how to walk and text and be more functional and efficient, or just quit texting on it all together. Like do it after work. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. If I mean, if we're if we're addicted to it, and as adults, you know, yeah. <clears throat> I, 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 you know, I you grew up, I guess you're a teenager with social media, social media, really. I'm, I'm so old that, you know, it, we didn't, even when our first kids were born, yeah, Facebook wasn't even on, wasn't even around. There was no Facebook birth announcement for the first two. There was for the second two. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at, at that time, you know, Oh, I'm going to go check Facebook. And that meant I went into a separate room where the desktop computer was sitting and I looked at Facebook. Right. Yeah, I mean, it has evolved rapidly like that. It's well, and, and now to throw some different like scary scenarios at you, you can go TikTok live and literally broadcast to thousands of people that you have no idea who you are. Like, there's one thing about Facebook and well, and Facebook and Instagram and those where if you have locked accounts or Facebook, you don't add everyone. It's still a group of people that you know. But now we're starting to get into like social media platforms like TikTok or Discord or a lot of the live stream gaming uh, that's going on. You're literally broadcasting to random people. And that that's a little bit frightening, I think. And maybe that's me getting older, but. <laughs> well, so I, I might be doing something here that's counter to what we're talking about. So my 11 year old, I guess he's almost 12. He's a bit of a gamer. Yeah. Which I'm not. But, you know, he. he it's pretty cool what what you know the the social aspect of these multiplayer online games is pretty cool and he he likes doing it and, and I find it interesting and so our farm does a lot of social media outreach to to give a window into the farm life for the urban person and so he has had interest in streaming his gaming you know be a be a streamer of of Fortnite and that sort of thing that twelve year olds play yeah. And I've supported it. I'm like right on, like yeah, you bet, buddy. Let's let's do this, you know, because I figured he gets good at that. You know, even even just with our farm, we need that skill set. And it doesn't matter what's what he goes and does if he can if he can learn those traits to market himself as a gamer. Those are traits that he's going to use as an adult to do whatever. 
Yeah, right. I don't view it as a waste of time at all. I view it as he is having fun learning what's going to be a very valuable skill set, I think. So I got to figure out what the right balance is there, but I've been fully supporting him wanting to be a, uh, wanting to stream or figure out how to stream his gameplay. What you got to do is get him to set, set it up in your barn so he can stream straight from the barn. That would that yeah. would probably go viral. That would go like you're got a couple calves like rubbing up against your shoulder while you're gaming. <laughs> then you could kind of intermingle the two worlds. Yeah, that's right. I got the kids. I really want them to to uh, you know we made a farm TikTok account, and my daughter, my youngest daughter especially, is is doing that a bit more because I mean we just have gold all the time right now with baby cows being bored and TikTok. Yeah. I mean it's just it's just pure gold. So I. I don't have a problem because that is the world we live in and their self-promotion or, or media promotion, shouldn't say self, but just promotion of whatever you're doing, selling yourself, selling your business. That is the way it is. Yeah. And so to become proficient in those platforms is a, is a must or, or at least proficient in that way of thinking is a must. Yeah, it's totally true. And it, and it can be like, and it's smart that you got your kids to do it because it just comes easier it sounds ridiculous me saying this in my mid twenties, but me and Angela struggle with Facebook, uh, like our business page, like getting getting it to work properly, to tag people, like it is so frustrating. And but you need it, like you need those skills to be able to access the consumer base that you want to access. So I think having kids that are proficient in that at least for twenty years before they're outdated is is probably a pretty good thing to do. As long as they yeah. have those those core values of what's right and wrong, and being able to stay away from things that that shouldn't be on their on their access uh, on their phones. That's right. Yeah, that is exactly right. Yeah. Cool. But, well, yeah. I think we'll probably wrap it up there. I think we have forty five minutes or so. So I've, I think after this, we'll probably just start rambling. <laughs> yeah, you bet. No, that was a good uh, good second episode. I I'm excited to to keep moving forward with these different topics come up for us. Yeah. So uh, thanks for everyone who listened in and uh, make sure to follow us on our social media platforms. Um, uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. We have our individual accounts. Um, uh, so uh, give us a like and give us a follow and uh, shoot us a message with uh, any topics you'd like us to discuss. Thanks guys. Have a good night. Yeah. Thank you.